There's a lovely story on our website, thecountry.co.nz. There's lots of lovely stories there, but this one really caught my eye. It's about Philippa Wright. She's written a column. She has been in the wool industry. Well, she's into her 46th year of being involved in the wool industry. Started out as a shed hand or a rousey in the heart of the Mackenzie country in the South Island, then went classing some iconic South Island merino clips and finally got into the wool brokering scene in Napier. In fact, Philippa, you have your own wool business. Have you got rocks in your head? <laughs> <laughs> Some might say so. And must I must say too, Jamie, it's lovely to speak to you after listening to you for so many years. You've written this column. You're very passionate about wool. What is it about you people who have been in the industry a long time? I think of my old mate from PGG Rights and Wool, Grant Edwards. He's another one. Been in the wool industry all his life. It's in the blood. They can't get it out of them. But, gee, it's tough work at the moment. It is. It's incredibly tough. But I've never lost my belief in the actual fibre. And I do say in that article that a lot of that came from my work with the campaign for wool globally and um, locally. And I think also what that campaign did for me, it introduced me to the global wool industry. And I didn't realise just how, how how big... I mean, we in New Zealand think that we're all about wool and that we are the best and the biggest and, and, and do everything um, magnificently. But I didn't quite have the concept of the world wool industry... And I can honestly say that the world industry, the people over there are every bit as passionate about wool as a fibre as we are. So it's, it's, it's a complete quandary as to why it hasn't stepped up and got back into the, into the position that it should, should be in. You've owned your own brokering company in Waipukarau, when Harris Country uh, for 25 years, you're still going. It's obviously tougher now than it's ever been. Uh, this this last couple of years, since COVID, it's probably the toughest I've ever seen, and I think anyone's ever witnessed. Um, the flood has really affected the North Island wool industry, and it will do so for the next probably 18 months. We're without a scour in the North Island, which I, I, I don't know how... To explain that to perhaps the meat people, it would be like only having one works open for the whole of the North Island to process all of your meat. And that's what literally has happened here in the North Island with Toto being completely flooded and having to restart again uh, and they, uh, rebuild again, I should say. Um, and I am in a position where I've worked with MPI and the SCAR, and I'm sending all my wool that I um, sell on behalf of growers to Timaru, and I'm selling X Timaru. Know that we can sell it, we can process it, we can um, we get 20 to 30 cents more than what we're getting in the North Island because they're able to process that wool through the, the Timaru SCAR. Yeah, it's a very inefficient system, isn't it? Look, you write in the column that the saddest day in our history was the day the wool growers of New Zealand voted to stop all marketing of New Zealand wool and then decommissioned uh, the wool board entirely. And you go on to say, yes, there was some serious misuse of funds. Well, Philippa, 
Way back in the 1990s when I first started my career in radio, the wall board invited me up at the last minute to the AGM in Palmerston North. I was broadcasting out of Gore in those days, a bit of a minnow really in radio terms. I don't know why they asked me up, but the airfares were something like $1,000 way back then, overnight, let alone they were going to put me up in a hotel, feed and water me, which I can assure you would not be inexpensive. So they just wasted a whole lot of money. If I was one example of people they were whining and dining, there must have been hundreds others. I don't blame farmers for kicking the wallboard to touch. I understand that sentiment, and I wasn't old enough to be part of that luxury of um, um, getting um, on their expense account. And believe me, I heard many, many stories. But to actually stop marketing of New Zealand walls who thought that that would help? How, you know, we've got, we're probably the only commodity in this country that hasn't got an overriding umbrella. We've got a government that's given us money, but they don't have any follow through. And you've, I mean, I've heard you give Damien a, a hell of a time on the radio, and rightly so for, for the situation with Woolen Schools. He's given us money to help with the strong wall, but then he won't back it up by insisting where he could really genuinely help and get wool in our schools and get that education continued into that that um, younger generation. The wall board, yes, it had a lot of faults, but surely to goodness they could have seen that there is a better way and a more um, logical way to, to continue to market our wall because without telling our story, how's anyone ever going to know about it? Hey, I just want to add, Philip, I didn't take up the option from the wall board either. It went against my principles, believe it or not. Listen, lovely column uh, on our website, thecountry.co.nz. I'm going to leave the listeners with your last sentence. I've been in it, in the wool industry, for the long haul and will be until I'm buried in my wool coffin. So don't lose heart, always choose wool and live well. Beautifully written. Hey, Philip Wright, thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Jamie.